Also, I noticed that you drink the, oh, the Coke with the rum. I like that. <laughs> That's from living in Jamaica. <laughs> Meet Rosemary Ganley, an 82-year-old feminist based in Peterborough. She attended the Beijing Platform for Action 25 years ago and was part of a group of Canadians who brought back the visionary roadmap of women's rights to the Canadian government. I met her at the largest gender equality conference in the world, Women Deliver in 2019. We were part of a group of 50 delegates who were funded by the Canadian Partnership for Women and Children's Health. These are birth conversations that matter. These are the birth talks. Are you ready? My name is Rosemary Ganley, and I live in Peterborough, Ontario. I'm an 82-year-old widow. You're a journalist? Oh, yes. Well, I was a high school English teacher, which is a very good preparation for critical thinking. And uh, when I left high school teaching, I thought, I'll treat myself to a world conference. And I had a very empowering spouse. And uh, so I went to Beijing, and that's 24 years ago. I kind of was adopted by the Canadian women because uh, I was uh, on my own, I had a transformative week there, and then wrote a lot of articles for the Peterborough Examiner. As an English teacher, and then suddenly saying, I want to go to the conference in Beijing, what, what was the connection there? What, what inspired um, you? We had already, my husband and three sons, we had already been sponsored by the Government of Canada to Jamaica for three years. So I did have a global consciousness, and so it deepened my feminism and my sense that as a Canadian and as a person with a voice, um, uh, this, this is the group I would like to be advocating for. Mm. So I feel that we were plowing the ground in Peterborough for the election of Mary Monsef. Mm. This gifted refugee from Afghanistan mm -hmm that came to Peterborough, went to high school, that's when my husband and I met her. Oh, so you met Miriam Monsef yes. when you were a high school teacher? Yes. Oh, wow. And there's another little angle. It was my husband who first started to celebrate her. He said, I want to know more about Islam, so I'm going to an Eid dinner. I said, I'm too tired, you go. Yeah. He came home and he said, I met this remarkable young woman selling red scarves for Afghanistan. So I bought 10. That would be him. <laughs> John, what are we going to do with 10? <laughs> so her devotion to him started when she was in high school. How many years ago was that? Let me see. She's 33 now. So it would be 15 years or wow. 18 years. That's remarkable. So so you knew Marion Monsef when she was just a teenager? Yes. Before yes. all the yes. politics? Yes. Wow. Yes. Yes. What was so, she like? She was bright and confident and a very quick study. So I see her now at, at, in ca at the cabinet, still bright, still confident, and it, you, she could re read a file in 20 minutes and make sense of it. A very gifted public speaker. I guess my initial point was anybody who did any global work before that was preparing the way for Peterborough, which is not as multicultural as many Canadian cities to elect a young woman, refugee, with only one degree? Yeah. Muslim? Yes, mm -hmm. we did. What made you believe in her? I think it was just person to person. It was just person to person. Mm -hmm. So she 
you and her built that relationship. That's right. right. Yes. So yeah. So so now we're at Women Deliver. Yes. And why was it important for you to be here? I wanted to come to re-energize the Canadian women's movement. So so, so I you wanted to come. So you wanted to re-energize the yeah. women's movement. Yeah. When so when I met you, Rosemary, yeah. for the first time, this was our orientation of fifty recipients. Yeah. Right. Yeah. In a sea of forty-nine other people who I don't know maybe range from 17 years old up to uh, maybe in their late 40s yes so and so so Rosemary you're I think you're the oldest we can say that you're I the oldest too. person think, in yes. the, right in the yeah. recipients yeah and I was I was just I just looked at you and then I was like like I just knew that there was so much wisdom and stories that you brought to the table but here you are sitting in the middle of all of these young people yeah. as the oldest person in the room of recipients. Yes. And when you tell me that you're here to re-energize the women's movement, yeah. that's, I think that's exactly what you're doing. Because it's just like, there's this, I think um, we live in a time where we've lost uh, hope, I think, yes. in older people. Yes. Right? And here you are with the most enthusiasm I think out of all the 50 the most confidence the most sassiness and um yeah you're just it's really amazing to see that kind of inspiration I think I emailed some of my friends because I do like to make people laugh in dark times and I said I'm very uncomfortable here because there's nobody here my age but when I that that that's really they'll laugh but it, I'm really joyful when I look at that at those conference rooms with four thousand people, and hardly a gray head. Mm. I say hallelujah. The, the movement is 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 long and hard, but it's led now by the young women and the diverse women. Mm. So, I'm here. For I'm here for the fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was talking yesterday with a few friends about, you know, I think for me, one of the hard things is remaining optimistic because it's easy yeah. to become cynical. Yeah. But what, what inspires me about you is that there's this kind of effervescent f- flow. Yeah. And you've been around for a long time yeah. from Beijing, yeah. that history yeah. to 25. How have you kept up your, your hope in, in I, the movement? It seems to be, it seems to be genetic. My, my exuberance, um, it, it's from the gut. <laughs> and I seem to be able to drink in inspiration. How, where do you see us in terms of gender equality in five to ten years? Yes. Or where would you like for us to go? Earlier women's conferences were dominated by the white Western bourgeois women. Mm-hmm. They're thinking, they're on pa- their dominate panels. Mm-hmm. That is no longer the case. So you've seen that change in in the time That's that you've started in the feminist women's movement. Work. Yeah, yeah. So one last question. Yeah. Okay, you were born in thirty seven. Thirty seven. <laughs> From nineteen thirty seven until two thousand nineteen. Yeah. What are the top three changes you've seen for women in those eighty two years that you've been here? Yeah. I, I think the first is. Um, the acceptance of the female body and, 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 and the celebration of the female body in all its forms. I think the whole, s- the best parts of the sexual revolution in terms of knowledge and attitudes, mm-hmm. I, 
I think Me Too movement has. Then we look, yeah, we look at the women who are going to speak out when their bodily integrity has been violated. Mm. Yeah, mm -hmm. we need to be there. Another one is is the critique of um, of the capitalist um, economic system that's impoverished so many. Mm. And then the, the, the climate crisis is the third that's worrisome. Mm. And women in the earth uh, philosophy needs to come to the fore. Mm. So, so what so if you could offer a sentence to the the, the people in the the young people in the, the the feminist movement today, what would you what piece of advice would you offer? The same thing as we said in Beijing, sister carry on. Mm. And pick your site of struggle and cheer on others in other fields. It, 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 the silos should come down. Oh, you're interested in LGBT2S rights. I'm with you. Where can we get together? When's the Pride Parade? And so on. Mm -hmm. It's it's. Women, we were exploited because it was assumed we were jealous of one another. We were all competing for the same men. Or that, that was assumed in the mm -hmm. 50s. Mm -hmm. So her gain was my loss. No, no, no. Mm. Her gain is your gain. And have some faith that surprises are going to come. Mm. Layla and I couldn't help but think about Rosemary's wise words on optimism. She had lived through World War II and now the COVID pandemic. She'd seen feminism evolve and diversify. This made us think more about the role of men in this movement. I mean, men have a huge role to play in uh, gender equality and balancing what patriarchy has done. So we're going to hear from Grégoire Laforce. He spent 17 years in the military, and he's going to share with us his perspective on what men's role is in achieving gender equality and reducing gender-based violence. Uh, so my name is Greg Laforce, um, and I guess I guess it's important to lay out my background. I'm a formerly a military guy. Um, so I did uh, close to 17 years in the Air Force. I uh, went through Royal Military College and that had um, significant influence on the way that I performed my masculinity. <clears throat> and then um, later on in my career, I was lucky enough to be to come across a tremendous program by Octiva. Lucky enough to be kind of challenged on what it is to be a guy and so that kind of that kind of led to um to a bit of a transformation for me and it's kind of still ongoing as we speak what's your what was your um your role uh in the military yeah uh so the the military had a bit of its me too moment in 2014 2015 a lot of public pressure for the military to do something about what was um, portrayed as a an overly sexualized culture and a culture that um, actively worked to uh, hush allegations of sexual misconduct and sexual assault, and so the 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 name that it was that was used was called Operation Honor, and uh, this was, as you can imagine, very new for military personnel to to have to think about this kind of stuff. Um, 
there was a team stood up and, um, just through force of things, I was going through the manifest change program, uh, just beginning my journey as a facilitator. And so my boss got word of it, sent some stuff over to the team. And so I was brought in to kind of advise on the development of a first pilot, uh, workshop. So Greg, we're, we're talking today about, um, gender equality and where Canada still needs to go with gender equality. And I just want to pick up about where you're talking because you do a lot of your work in gender-based violence. And for me, I mean, Layla, I don't know, I had the stereotype but that in the military, this is where the heart of patriarchy lies, right? Like, right. And like the, the, the epitome of masculinities is playing itself out. Um, and so tell us like, I guess where, do you see it changing um, in in that institution? Um, how can it change? So where are people resisting? And where are the points where there is um, some acceptance opening up? I do think that it is slowly changing. Um, and it is changing in a direction which is uh, difficult for people to experience, which is one of, at first, fear, right? Like, oh, we can't say that anymore. But I, from what I perceived as a facilitator and as a, an observer of workshops, it's not changing yet to the, the, the deeper level, which is why can't we say that anymore? So there's a lot of fear uh, and there's a lot of perhaps pushback and resentment towards change authorities and change initiatives, which are telling people, you, you can't say that anymore. And so this is the why it's so vital to have conversations on, that allow for people to, to vent, but within a controlled, facilitated environment to say, okay, but <laughs> let's, let's look at critically, why is it that you can't say, um, you can't say anything anymore? Um, because I think that a lot of, a lot of um, people just haven't been challenged before on this kind of stuff, things like, um, you know, like, oh, well, you know, anything that's associated with rape culture, you know, like she was asking for it, or um, I've heard stories of women walking off ship um, and, and, you know, people looking on saying, well, she's going to, she's looking for trouble kind of thing, you know? So that, that's the kind of thing where it's, I think it's slowly changing, but it's going to take time because the military is, is part of society. It's kind of like the work that you and I do, Maya, the police is part of society. It's, it's, it's one and the same. So it's hard to, to isolate the variables there. So why the resistance? Why, why do you think men have such strong resistance um, in, in, in opening up their, their, the notion of the traditional masculinities? Uh, I think it's vulnerability. It's fear of being vulnerable and fear of fear of being seen for what you really are. Perhaps I'm, you know, I, that's just my attempt at it. Really, it's <laughs> there are multiple entry points into that question, um, but I think it's it's fear of being seen as weak, and so we have to somehow expand the definition of what. And this is you're kind of playing playing the card of like the, these stereotypical masculine words. What is strength? 
what what is strength really and then expanding that through 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 dialogue and so to give men permission to show vulnerability as strength you can yeah. still you can still protect your country you can still protect your city yeah if you show vulnerability absolutely in fact i i'm not i'm not a mental health uh practitioner or a trained in uh, in any of that, those fields, but I suspect that you know if you do um, allow yourself to open up about what you're feeling, you're going to be more resilient in the process, and so you're actually going to be <laughs> stronger and more likely to to um, and to use military language, you know, fight, fight, be more effective, combat effective. So there's there's a lot of paradoxes at play there, <laughs> and I'm only starting to reflect on them now. One of my questions was, what are in in the in given the work that you've done so far and <clears throat> the type of audience you know you've worked with, you've worked with in the military again, challenging rape culture, challenging you know culture of gender based violence. So what are some of the limitations but also the benefits of being a man doing you know gender equality facilitation work you know essentially culture change in an institution like that yeah yeah that's a good question Layla um for me what comes up right away when you ask that question is the blind spots so many blind spots about experiences that are not my own and so, uh, and also within the military context is there's not that good of a representation of trans women of color, for instance, we just, there's not, see how I use the pronoun we there. Um, I'm still kind of reflecting like I'm part of the institution, but the military doesn't have that representation. So how do you get those experiences? The second part of it is, um, and this is what I think was particularly effective in the way that Octiva did its work is that all of the case studies or um, anecdotes that were being reported anonymously, of course, were being done through through the service, the, the agencies that were doing the, the frontline work. And so it was particularly impactful when say, here's what we're hearing from the ground about what's happening to people who you, who you might not realize are being impacted by, by gender-based violence. So those are the two things that come up for me is, uh, and also, it is our fight, but it isn't our fight. Like feminism is uh, is something that is, has been going on for generations, and we are slowly being brought into this. And so we, in a way, stand on the shoulders of giants. And so we have to acknowledge that and pay tribute and be mindful of checking in. Is it right for me to be in this space? Is it right for me to to uh, to speak at this event? Uh, and so that's a constant tap dancing of, of blind spots. For you, our last question for you is, where does Canada still need to go in 2020 when it comes to ending gender-based violence and achieving gender equality? <laughs> that is a big, huge question. But I think that I can only speak from what, what I know and what I experienced and what, what has worked for me um, is we need to create opportunities for, for those with power to be challenged in a way that doesn't shut them down. And so 
this is this is sometimes problematic when you you're you're having people of power who are vocalizing things that are perhaps harmful. So how do you do that? Is the the miracle tap dance of of trauma informed strength based facilitation, um, which I saw done firsthand with Octiva, and then now awkwardly trying to do whenever I step into the arena. <laughs> but I think we need to have more of those conversations, and we need to equip people who are seen as role models to carry those conversations. I'm thinking of teachers. I'm thinking of social workers. I'm thinking of coaches, anyone that has power and influence over young people. Um, yeah, I think we need to do more of that. <laughs>